Good morning, church. Wow, I'm loud now. That's great. I have more power than I thought. Hey, fire and flood, theft, damage, auto accidents. Uh, maybe some of you haven't had the best of weeks. Um, I like that last comment there that we can always trust in God uh, through the good things and through the tough things. So welcome this morning, church, and I pray that God's love, joy, and peace reigns in your heart through whatever you're going through right now. This morning's scripture reading is in Luke. We're in chapter 18. You can turn in your Bibles or follow along on the screen. If you've downloaded the LCC app, it's on your Bible as well, has the notes. It's a great opportunity. You can also do your giving there if you'd like to. So uh, once I get some glasses on here. Luke 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to him, them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, who, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit? eternal life. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have 
and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. As we gather and, and open the word together, the tension is, do we spend the next eight weeks and go through verse by verse, parable by parable? And I saw this theme that, that will come out as we, as we put these together and we unpack them. The theme of the kingdom, the topic, the overarching idea of living in the now and not yet that we, we unpacked last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and hear. But the, the Spark Notes short version is, God's kingdom is, is really reigning in, in the, the people's hearts. Wherever God's people are, in God's place, and God's rule, that's the kingdom. So wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom is. And we see that Christ came initially to usher in the kingdom, and then he's going to return and set up an earthly thousand-year physical, literal reign kingdom that will then go away and then bring about the final eternal kingdom where he will forever reign. So those in the spiritual kingdom, in the, in the now but not yet, and this material awaiting that material thousand-year reign kingdom coming, uh, we see that Jesus is talking about how we are to live now, in the not yet. And so we're excited that we have God's rule in our hearts, and he's reigning, but what does that mean? How do we engage in this, in this secular world? And and so all this talk about the kingdom and, and entering the kingdom like a child and uh, how does one even get into the kingdom? Apparently you have to be like a child. And so this question that comes up right away is how is one made right with God after we're, we're faced with this widow who keeps pestering this evil judge who doesn't fear God or men? And, and this huge question that's always haunted mankind, how can a person be made right with God? has plagued and haunted us since Job 9.1 reveals the oldest scripture we have. says, I know that this is so. How can a man be right with God? How can we be justified before God? So as Jesus continues teaching, and Luke records this and puts it in order for his disciple, Theophilus, and, and for us as we're discipled to know Jesus and grow in that relationship we see that followers are to pray and have confidence that we will enter the not yet coming kingdom as we experience the kingdom reign in our lives today. So the first truth and question we wrestle with here is who or what have you stopped praying for? And, and is this 
character that Jesus seemingly invents, but as we see in a minute, he, he was actually influenced from what God had set up. So he creates this character, verse 2, and in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. What, what helps us understand where Jesus is coming from is Second Chronicles chapter 19, where we see Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah, and it says in verse 4, Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. And he appointed judges in the land and in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, consider what you are doing for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord. You do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you when you render judgment. Now then, we see in verse 7, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do, for the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteous or injustice or partiality or the taking of a bribe. So in the Old Testament, we see in, in spite of the clear instruction from God, judges were corrupt. Amos makes it repeatedly clear in chapter 5, verse 10. They hate him who, who reproves him in the gate. The gate is where they would, would render their judgments and deal with civil matters. It says, you have planted pleasant vineyards. You will not drink their wine. For I know your transgressions are many. Your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. These judges that the Amos mentions are corrupt and, and will know the judgment of God. I know this is hard to wrap our minds around, but po politicians then were actually accepting bribes. Could you, like, who would have thought? Like, so weird. Like, I don't know why they would ever do that. Um, we don't know anything of that in our culture. You know, growing up, you always heard, um, you know, lawyers were like robbers. Well, that, that was their nickname. They actually changed the Hebrew letter to, to take their, their title from a judge dealing with the law to where it was called a judge who was a robber, right? That's what lawyers were known and that's what judges are known for uh, so often now when you look at their, their dealings and so often it's come out, oh, this person was elected, but they're actually in cahoots with the cartel. It's like, oh, well, that, a bribe, huh? And so Jesus is, is in stark contrast to what most churches are doing, handing out voting guides, vote for this person, put this person in power. Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying, hey, I have a kingdom and I am the king and here's how this works. Judgment is coming that's way bigger and way more thorough than you could ever imagine and, it, and it's gonna be just. And I've always been for the just. Micah 6, 8 says, you know what you're supposed to do, oh man. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. He's, he's always about justice. And so in this time, God's acknowledging, Jesus is acknowledging you're in a corrupt world under corrupt rulers. And I'm gonna explain to you what a corrupt judge who doesn't fear God or man is actually gonna do for someone who pleads and pesters them. In the, in the Talmud, it said they were so perverted in some occasions, they would actually pervert justice for a Taco Bell taco, the dollar menu that went away. Like they would, you can give me a dollar burrito? Sweet, I'll lock them up, 25 to life. I know they're innocent, but you're giving me a burrito. And the woman was there in line at Taco Bell that they got for free for locking someone up unjustly. And she's like, hey, I was, I was given injustice, make it right. And he's like, no, gosh, 
this is awkward. I'm just trying to get my taco. And then he locks someone else away unjustly for 50 years to life. And, and, and he got a free Starbucks. Like that's, that's why they were so bad. They didn't fear God or men and they would lock people away for the simplest trifle things in kickbacks. And she's there in Starbucks making a big scene going, you owe me justice, do justice. God says in Micah 6, 8, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Why are you so arrogant? And he's like, this is awkward. And, and the breaking point was probably one in the morning when he's trying to sleep and she's there knocking on the window. Give me justice, give me justice. I want justice. And his wife was like, please, Harry, just give her justice. Like, I need my sleep. He's like, fine. It says in verse four, for a while he refused, but afterward, which is probably one in the morning, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect men, I fear my wife. That, I added that, probably not there. I'm just saying, probably happened. Like Jesus, might have, Luke might have like, ah, they won't get it later. No, we get it. Verse five, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'm gonna give her justice because I want peace in my home so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. In verse six, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? The elect are represented by the widow, the helpless and humble widow who has no, no posture, no angle. All it is is to pester and continually ask. We're in a sense at the mercy of our judge, but the, this judge, thankfully, is God, who, who's not going to just wait for no reason. He's going to come swiftly. And verse 7, now shall not God bring about justice for his elect. Literally make the vindication, which means to justify. And we see in 1 Peter 2, 23, God is the one who judges righteously. And Romans twelve nineteen says, God has said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And finally, Revelation nineteen two. I remind you, true and righteous are his judgments. We can rest as the humble and helpless widow pleading our case before God who will be the righteous and true judge. He will do what he's promised to do for his elect because his word is at stake and, his faith, and he is faithful to his word. So the Lord illustrates his intentions and he closes with a question in verse eight. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. He's delaying, which is interesting as we pray for his coming. We're reminded that the older I get, the slower that prayer is because I know he wants all people to come to him. He wants them to know him before he comes and it's over. And then there's that final judgment and wrath. And so as we pray for his coming, we also pray for the 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 repentant, the, the hearts to turn to him because he says, I will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, the question is, will he find faith on earth? When he comes, because he will, will he find faith on earth? Will his people continually cry out to him? Will they be waiting with expectancy or will we be so quickly and often distracted by the cares and worries of this world? Will we love his appearing? Will we have that sense of Maranatha, Lord, come quick? Or will we be like in the days of Noah, just a few? 
And as we, we, we see the stats that come out, I've shared, there's only 2% of churches that preach the gospel and the Great Commission. And 98% of, of, of people who claim to be Christians don't know the Great Commission. They don't know that Jesus said, go into all the world and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's kind of a hard sell, right? Like, hey, we're going to go and suffer and sacrifice and probably die. Unfortunately, that's what the Bible keeps talking about, is I'm going to send a suffering servant. I'm going to send one who's beat up, humbly, helplessly killed in your place. And that's the example for the church, to be the bride, to be the humble, helpless widow, pleading, crying out to the just king who's going to come again and bring his kingdom. And that's where we're left. Will you be here when I come back or will you go... I don't know where you're going to go, but are you going to go there? And that's that tension. It's like, oh, that's kind of awkward. And then Luke's like, but to help you with clarity, because I know you're kind of wondering what's next. It's obvious. We compare. And as I, before I jumped to two, I was reading in another commentary, uh, an African-American pastor made this assessment and, and conclusion from that. First portion, he said, you know, comparing the, the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s in, in the Black Lives Matter movement, there's some words they might share, but the pastors in the churches who did their research and then decided to pray and fast before they walked peacefully is stark contrast to Black Lives Matter with protests and murders and burning down buildings and just grabbing any kind of even sin culturally that seems to be something they could lift up that goes against God's word there's a very clear contrast to the success that the civil rights movement had. And the pastor said, clearly we see it was because of prayer. And so the, the most helpful is to pray, but, but I think wrongfully we, we settle with the earthly things and the, and the quick things without seeing, Jesus is saying there's a heavenly eternal kingdom coming. And I'm about bringing justice here and now, but there's an eternal justice coming. And when I come, are you focused on those eternal things? And so it's a, it's a both now and not yet that we hold. And are we, are we quick to compare and compromise? Are we comparing and seeing, okay, what do I need to confess? And how am I missing it? Because this next comparison Jesus invites us to see is, is one that in quick reading, maybe you grew up hearing this and you're like, oh yeah, the Pharisee and tax collectors, classics. That idiot Pharisee guy was coming to him. Anyways, let's get on to the kids. and they, That's cute. The infant's coming to Jesus. But I want to pause here for a second because who are you comparing yourself to? First, who or what have you stopped praying for? And, and let's make sure it's Christ and his kingdom coming first. And then look around and what has Christ compelled you to pray for? But making sure you're ready for his reign that's coming will be eternal. And then as we realize we are not worthy, we're to be like the humble and helpless widow in this humble tax collector. At first though, I'm sure Jesus is like, hey guys, uh, there's a parable. Uh, someone trusting themselves. They were righteous, treated others with contempt. There's, a, there's two men, one's a Pharisee and there's a tax collector. And Matthew's probably like, dude, I'm right here, Jesus. Like you could just say Matthew goes to the, like it's always a tax collector. Can't ever be a fisherman. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe Mary Magdalene, like demon possessed woman. Like no, no, tax collector every time. All right, great. Just gonna sit here. Just say Matthew next time. We all know who you're talking about. 
And so these two guys go up to the temple, Pharisee and tax collector, and the Pharisee standing by himself, which he's actually in the front row, which if you can tell, if you sat in the front row, you'd be by yourself. And you would be front and center of everything. And everyone would look at you, not me. That's why no one sits, we all know, right? So he placed himself in the front row and he's praying out loud, outshining the, the guy with the horn and, and the megaphone guy. He's loud enough, everyone hears him. And they see he's not only speaking the part, he's dressed to a T. He's got what's called a phylactery, these boxes that are wrapped up with these extensive leather straps to extenuate how religious and and in awe of God's word that he is. He actually has boxes bound to his head and and his forearms so that you would unmistakably know he is better than you. I mean, that's why they did it. It's like, hey, I know God's word better than you. I'm wearing it and I'm doing it. I'm thinking about it and I'm doing it. And and initially it was pure intention to to know God's word, but it had evolved and and moved into this arrogance. And so Jesus portrays him as a self-absorbed after initially giving a nod to God, but really just saying, okay, this is really a, a monologue disguised as a prayer, but it's all about me and and all the things I do. Because you see there's five implicit pronouns in the Greek, I, 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 I. I mean, just saying that, you're like, okay, pastor, it's not about you. It's about Jesus, right? Just want to make sure. Yes, it's all about Jesus. But in this case, Jesus says this guy is so self-sufficient and he's self-righteous. That's all about him. He's like, hey God, thanks for your grace to be able to like allow me to, to glo- like bring you glory. Because if I wasn't so good, you would look bad. But obviously, thankfully, I'm not good that you look good. So it's cool, right God? So he says, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. He needs no repentance. He has to drag in the, the tax collector as a sleazy tax collector to draw attention to how Mr. Clean he is. He's kept all the commands. He's made all the sacrifices. It says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. There are certain percentages of, you don't need to give it all that you get. And, and, and the Old Testament law was two times a year. He does it. He, does, he fasts twice a week. He's that good. The interesting thing is he makes all the sacrifices. He knows all the right verses. He knows all the right things to do and the bad things not to do. He serves faithfully. He's great theology, similar to the tax collector. They have very identical theology. The difference is while he believes there's a need for atoning sacrifice, he, he looks at the tax collector and sees the scales and he sees how much good he's done and he thinks, surely I've done so much good that God will be so impressed, he won't even recognize the, the few oversights and sins that, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm just less of a sinner than him. So let's focus on all the good that I have done. And, and he's self-sufficient. He's self-righteous. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't need to be humble. He doesn't need atonement like the tax collector might. He, he just needs it a little bit. So he thought all of his good works would tip the scales in a way it wouldn't be that big of a deal. So much was given to his works that really it shocked the hearers 
when Jesus reveals the contrast. Because when we look at the unrighteous, repentant tax collector standing at a distance, beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me. And in the, in the, another translation, the NASB, it's interesting. It says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I like that translation a lot better because it's, I'm the sinner. Like, I'm the sinner here. Be merciful to me. I shouldn't be here. He's on his knees, beating his chest. Be merciful to me. I'm the sinner. Not a sinner, but the sinner. The humility and the helplessness. He's like, I don't even know how I can be here. Your mercy and your grace is, is so overwhelming. The reason he's pounding his heart is because he's confessing and, and saying, look, this is where all my sin comes from. In Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, it says the heart is deceitful above all else. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? In verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. In Matthew 5, 18 through 19, Jesus says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart that defiles a person. It's not pork. Just, just want to clear that up. You can have your pulled pork for lunch. It's what comes out of your heart. I'll never forget driving in my truck, listening to a preacher say that. And I'm like, oh man, that's my problem. And Ezekiel's saying, I'm going to take that heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh that beats for me. It's the heart in 19, it says, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. They both have good theology. They both went to the building where believers were. They both were hearing the word. They both were preaching, hearing the preaching, hearing the songs and joining in songs. They both were serving and caring. The difference was repentance. The difference, one was saying, I don't need it. And one was saying, by God's grace, I don't know how you're giving me salvation and forgiveness, but I repent. I'm turning from my sin and turning to you. Many people believe, and they're gonna say, Lord, Lord, we cast demons out, we raise the dead in your name, and Jesus is gonna say, I never knew you. Because they didn't repent. They thought they could just add Jesus' name and they would make money, and they would, they would do these good things, and, and they have, and they will. And Jesus says, I never knew you. In the end, when he comes and he asks, will I find faith? Here he's saying it's the humble, it's the helpless widow. It's the humble, it's the helpless tax collector. They're the ones who are repentant and they're the ones who will receive the kingdom. And they're the ones, he said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's the helpless, humble heart that is exalted, which is why I wanted to, to bring all these to you today, because we see, before we transition to his last point, we see verse 15, they're trying to bring infants to him that he might touch them, and the disciples are like, whoa, whoa, whoa come on, man, this is for old people who are, have done all these good works, and they're amazing, and they know things they need, and my heart breaks as I read a headline that someone had a baby and a day-old infant was left in a trash can at a gas station. He was in critical condition in the hospital. That's how our culture, not just rulers, our culture doesn't fear God or men and treats life like that. You just throw it away. 
But really, this is what Jesus is responding to. Disciples, you're going to throw these infants away? I'm the one who created them. Let me hold them. Let, let me hold them. This is the, the, the clearest example. There's nothing more helpless than an infant. The infant could barely cry. Who knows how long it'd been there? It's, it's helpless. And it's, it's humble. It's desperately in need of nurture, of care, of, of sustenance. The infant, it's a horrible to, to think of that infant, but perfect picture that Jesus is saying, no, 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 let them come to me. And he said, by the way, do not hinder them, which adults, it's your job not to hinder the kids, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. But are we hindering kids or helping them? I mean, that's where, as a youth pastor for so many years, it was like, uh, why is this like a new idea? We should like help youth. Like we all were middle schoolers in the horrible worst season of our lives, that transition period. Like everything goes wrong and things pop out of our faces and we smell bad. It's like that never, what in the world? And all the adults are like, yeah, we don't want to look at you or talk to you. You're weird and hard. It's like, what? You weren't me once? Ah. And Jesus is like, why are you hurting them? Help them. Like, they're just an infant, but like 13 years old. They, and they're, they break everything now. Like, before they would just yell at you. Now they're yelling at you and breaking stuff. And they don't know what's going on. Like, help them figure it out. They're humble and helpless. And then they get to be older teenagers. And then they're the self-sufficient, self-righteous. And you're like, I don't know what. So we need Jesus. So here's the thing. Jesus is giving us the best picture. Unless you... Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child does not enter it. Unless you become helpless and humble like a child, you're not getting in the kingdom. And to make this as clear as can be, a rich ruler shows up and, 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 and bends the knee and pr provides this last point, do things or the king have your heart? So we think about what or who have we stopped praying for? Are we humble and helpless in, in praying that God's kingdom comes now and, 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 and eternally? And secondly, the, we see who are you comparing yourself to? Is it, is it Jesus and his holiness and his purity and his kingdom and knowing that you again need to be a humble, helpless child? Children know nothing of comparison, Right? until they get to be middle school and all of a sudden things happen. They're like, oh, it's time to compare. And here we see a guy who recognizes he's got a pretty good portfolio, but he just doesn't feel like he's ready to go to the kingdom. He doesn't feel like he has it. He needs to do something else. He comes and says, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus recognizes the things, not the king, has his heart, and he says, what do you call me good? No one is good but God. You're a Jew. You know that. You don't call people good. You don't say, hey, that's a, that's a good chariot. Hey, that's a good taco. You say that's God is good. In essence, in purity, and holiness, he's perfect. He's good. The taco's a, a decent taco. It could be worse. Could have mold on it, right? Like, they wouldn't refer, they would be careful of every word they spoke, and so this man comes and says, hey, I, I need clarity. And hopefully he's thinking, man, he's going to be impressed by how good I am, right? Like, I'm good. He's so arrogant. You know the commandments. Jesus says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. 
And he says, all these I've kept from my youth. He's saying, look, God, all these good works I've been doing in my life. My life's full of good works. I've kept all the commandments since I was a kid. Like, what else do I need to do? There's nothing, there's like barely any room in all my life of all the good works I've done. Aren't you impressed? He wants that attaboy. Like, dude, you're already good to go. Yeah, I know I was good. I just wanted to hear it from you, Jesus. Like, I'm out of here. And Jesus tells him that because the simplistic understanding was that if you had a lustful thought, you didn't really lust because you didn't commit adultery. Or if you had a hateful thought, you didn't really sin because you didn't murder that person. That was what the rabbis were teaching in the, in the most popular understanding. So when Jesus said this, he's like, yeah, I kept all those. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't commit adultery. I'm, the, I'm legit. Like I'm the poster boy for obeying the law. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. He knew. He gave him the second half of the Ten Commandments, but he knew the first was so easily avoided because, because of coveting, which Paul recognized in Romans 7 when he said, for I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, do not covet, but sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of covetous desire. Apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. He was saying, once I realized that I was coveting, I realized I was in sin and I needed Jesus. This man, Jesus says, hey, you're coveting. You have a God before me and it's your stuff. All your possessions, all your good works, you're worshiping that before me because he said, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. It's no big deal because you want eternal life. That's more of a priority. And here's what it's going to cost you. And he sees the price tag. And he goes, this is MSRP. We're not going to talk to a salesman. Let's work a deal. Like, what's the deal at the dealership today? And Jesus is like, that's the best price. That's, all, that's what it is. And Jesus says, you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And while at first glance, yes, Jesus doesn't tell all of us to empty our bank accounts and go do a bank run because the bank's going to collapse tomorrow. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying, come and follow me, like he did to the fishermen, like he did to Matthew. Leave your tax booth. Leave your family business. Come and follow me. He is saying that thing that could be a God thing, that good thing in your life that could be made a God thing, you have to leave it. He said that to all of us. He's saying that to you today. If you're not following him, he's saying, leave whatever it is that's holding you back and come follow me. And he's saying, take that out and let me fill you with eternal life. Let my grace come to me helpless like the widow. Come to me Humbly, like the tax collector, beating your chest. I need salvation. I need a new heart, Jesus. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. But I know I've sinned and I'm turning to you for forgiveness. Come to me humbly and helpless and I will forgive you and you can enter the kingdom. And he looks at the price tag and says, no, I don't, not, not buying it. So he's sad. He's not walking away with that new, new truck today. He's not walking away with the, the kingdom today. He's walking away with his kingdom, not God's kingdom which Jesus, seeing that he became very sad, how, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. See, kingdom 
principle is if we have wealth and resources and homes, we don't need to be sad that we have that. We need to take it as a blessing that God would entrust you with the things he owns to steward it for his glory and to advance his kingdom. We don't need to be ashamed of what he's given us, but we need to make sure we guard our heart to not worship the good things as a God thing. And we need to make sure that when God says sell it, we're like, yes, and how much? We don't go, uh, we go, yes, it's gone. Perfect, where are we going? And, and that's what spiritually opened Paul's eyes to say, wow, I thought this is what you wanted, but really you wanted the works out because they're filthy rags. And you're going to fill me with the worth. You're going to tell me it's not about my works that earn, but it's about my humble, helpless position that you can fill me with your love. And you can empower me with your spirit to do good works for your glory. And that is what Jesus was coming to reveal to us. It's not about the self-sufficient, self-righteous They aren't justified because they have no repentance. They need not to. It's the helpless, humble widow and and sinner and tax collector who say, I need you. And Jesus says, they're finally like an infant, helpless and humble. And now I can save them because they're repentant. Those who heard it said, forget it. Who can be saved? And he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. So many people have come to me and said, Brandon, what you're saying is so hard. I can't follow. I can't do that. And and you know, they're saying the same thing this Hindu queen said when she heard this parable. She just kept pushing and pestering this missionary. And the missionary was like, "Ah, you want to hear the gospel? Maybe we should wait. And the the Hindu queen was like, I need to know. And she, she knew enough to understand and to take in the force of these words. And she would not consent to be led gently on. And so she said, I must know, read the scripture to me, read the gospel. Let me understand it. So as the missionary read verse by verse, we read to her, her face settled sorrowfully. So far must I follow so far. The Hindu queen said, and she said, I cannot follow so far. She said, I I can't, I can't give up this. I can't follow Jesus that way. I can't do it. So probably some of you, maybe you've been coming to church and you read the word and you go to Bible study, but you can't follow Jesus so far. And you're realizing that there's this Holy Spirit's convicting you, but maybe hopefully you're saying, I get it. I need to humbly come before Jesus. I need to come helpless and say, I repent. I can't earn it. I can't work it out. I need you to forgive me. By grace, we're saved through faith, not of works so that no one can boast. And so Jesus is saying, what's impossible with man? You're right. You can't do this. You can't obey me fully. You can't be holy as I'm holy because it's impossible with man, but it is possible with God. I can do it in you. I can do it through you. And that's where when we're humble and helpless, God will fill us with his spirit. And then through him, we can do it. Through him, we do all things. That's where he's getting us to surrender through repentance. So we see, and Peter said, wait, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus is asking about our hearts. 
Have you let him be the king of your heart? Has salvation come to your heart or are you still holding on to things in your works and thinking that God will be impressed? He's not impressed by your filthy rags. He wants your heart to be a humble, helpless state so he can fill it with his love, with his spirit. And and it is hard. It costs you. You have to surrender and you don't know how far, but when you know how far and you get a glimpse of it, you go that far and unless you're humble and helpless and dependent on him and his spirit to bring apart and about his miracle work in you, you won't readily go. As I, I wanted to share in closing, in regards to this, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or wife or brothers. Peter's like, I left my wife, I left my house, I left the business. Like, come on, I'm humble and helpless, Jesus. Where's the ROI? Where's the return on my investment? When am I gonna get that? in this kingdom you're talking about, the here and not yet kingdom. And I, and I remembered this, this boy who went to school, who was a Christian and he went to this Muslim school and, and the next day his dad's like, do you wanna go? And he's like, yeah, I wanna go. I need to share Jesus with them. And, and they killed him the next day. So I Googled that and I was surprised that the, the amount of occurrences that's happened to students and, and even college students over the past couple of years. And, this one story I read, this, this girl who was a Muslim and, and her friend was a daughter of a missionary pastor and gave her the Bible and shared the gospel with her and said, hey, you gotta come to know Jesus. He died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. And she's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm following Muhammad. I'm not doing that. It's cool for you. So she went home that day and her dad said, hey, congratulations. I set this marriage for you. You're gonna be the fifth wife of this super old dude. And, and she's like, I could be the youngest daughter. I'm not gonna marry this guy, dad. And and her dad was like, no, you're going to marry him. I set it all up. And she's like, no, I wanna go back to school, trying to avoid this. And so the dad in a fit of rage broke a chair over her head, killing her, wrapped her in a a bag as she lost consciousness and then ended up dying. And and her dad and mom drove her out of town and, and dumped her in this dry well. And all she remembers is, is coming to in the arms of Jesus and, and Jesus revealing himself to her. And she's coming to and seeing Jesus. And she's like, oh, Lord, Jesus, you died and on the cross, was buried three day, for three days, rose again. I believe in you. I repent. I'm a sinner. You're my savior. And, and Jesus took her out of the well later at, at the, on the ground next to the well. And just then as she was coming to, out of meeting Jesus and and being saved, repenting, being once again, a humble, helpless, the most powerful picture. I was just like, wow, of course you would do that, Jesus. These husband and wife missionaries of the same organization run to her and say, Jesus told me to come to you here. And they took her to a a house on on that farm where there's women there who've come to know Christ out of Islam and and are working there. And she said, I want to go home, but I won't until they believe in Jesus. Time and time again, you read stories of how Jesus is saving Muslims. It's that exact way. That shouldn't shock us. It's a miracle that you and I are saved no different than Jesus taking her out of a well, raising her from the dead and saying, I'm here. You are seeking salvation and you're seeking freedom from this bondage. And I, by my wounds, you're healed. And now you have life eternally. You're gonna still die, 
but you have hope beyond the grave and you're healed. And that's the gospel we cling to. That's what Jesus leaves us with. When I come back, will I find faith? Or will I find a bunch of faithless 98% who call themselves Christians in churches who don't preach the gospel? Which means there's only 2% of us. Before we pat ourselves on the back and become that self-righteous, self-sufficient, let's be that tax collector and beat our chests and say, I'm the sinner. I need your grace. And then we can walk out full of his love, humbly, helpless, but empowered by his spirit to love those and forgive those as he forgave us. Like that widow praying for his kingdom to come because there is no justice without the just king. And until he comes, there's only struggle. And there's many that are seeking and searching. So we pray for their their souls to be saved because it's impossible with men. The, The friend tried, but the gospel, with God, it was possible. So if God is not defining your worth, then nothing he says as you read scripture will be worth it. You'll hear his word and you'll go, it's not worth it. But if he's defining your worth, if you come to him humbly, helpless, he'll define your worth. He'll put his spirit in you and say, whatever you're going through, I'm with you. I'm never gonna leave you or forsake you. Let's go. And you're gonna say, it's great. Let's go, Lord. As hard as it is, I know you're with me. It's impossible with men, but it's possible with God. So let's remain humble and helpless and let him help us today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending your son to clarify there is a king who's ruling and reigning, who has and always will be, and who is our savior today, now and forever, who by your grace, you went to the cross in our place. By your grace, you did the work so we could be saved and set free. By your grace, we have eyes to see that we need a savior and put our faith that you gave us in you. It's all you're doing. And we know as we cry out to you for the injustices that are done, that you, the just king, will come make all the wrongs right one day. We pray that we would be full of your grace, full of your spirit, walking in step, loving in every way you would, correcting with mercy and grace as we hold forth the gospel. We praise you for saving those here. We pray those who are are searching and and maybe this is the first time they're hearing the gospel, that they're a sinner in need of a savior. That that simple prayer of have mercy on me, the sinner, I need you to be my savior and Lord Jesus. That they would say those words now and their heart would be surrendered to you and you would save them, God. We pray they let us know that we would celebrate with them and help them walk with you. And Lord, may we continue to have that posture of a humble, helpless servant needing your grace to fill us up and your love to overflow through us to others around us. In Jesus' name, amen.